um, of these Bible studies so that we can somehow use them or share them. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're working through First uh, Corinthians and we're transitioning now into chapter 14 and talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, and I wanted to mention quickly that there is a way for you to ask questions in the chat box. There is a link that you can click on and uh, follow that to um, a page where you can type in a question and ask um, based on the lesson we're teaching or really anything. Um, it's not limited because I, although I may not get to it in this particular lesson, um, you're free to ask and might address it later or some other time. So um, just a way to increase some feedback on our Bible studies. Um, so last week we dealt with uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and the topic that Paul deals with um, is love. And he makes the very powerful statement that we should pursue the best gift. And we had a fun little discussion about what is the best gift. And uh, ultimately, it really comes down to whatever is needed at the moment is the best gift. And while there are, are gifts, perhaps, that we might gravitate towards and God might use us repeatedly in, um, really, when, you, when someone's sick and you know what they are sick with, you don't need word of knowledge to know that they're sick or that they have cancer, but you need the working of miracles or healing um, or the gift of faith to work in that situation. So um, that's, that's kind of the best. But then Paul said an even better thing than the gifts of the spirit is love. Love is better than the gifts. Gifts, and, and think about it. Who, I mean, it's great when we hear of people's miracle testimonies. Um, it's wonderful. Uh, the, the powerful messages we've heard and Miracles we've heard about, maybe even seen in our lives, but the more impactful things in our life have been the love that people have shown us, perhaps when we, um, we didn't deserve it or, you know, whatever the case was, but they're the love that people showed toward us from God is so impactful and so lasting and often, really, the thing that transforms hearts is the love of God. It's not the miracles. Um, if it were the miracles, then Israel would have been a perfect, perfect nation that would have served God. But we see just, you know, months after they leave Egypt and they're down at Mount Sinai, they've abandoned the commands of God. They've abandoned following God. They're worshiping false idols. So obviously miracles are good. They have they serve a role in liberating people from the from the 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 chains of this world and from the chains of sin, but they are not a permanent effect. But love has a more powerful, permanent, lasting effect in our life. And that's what Paul basically testifies to in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we talked about how love is. Love is patient, kind, rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. Um, prophecies will fail. Um, tongues will cease. 
gifts will 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 eventually you know you can be healed today but ultimately someday you are going to die of something um something's going to take you out um so healing is good but eventually there's no more healing for somebody because it's their time to go so but love never ends love never stops it never stops being effective even in those last few moments of life um love still makes an impact on somebody's heart uh love is not envious it's not boastful it's not arrogant not rude it doesn't insist on its own way it's not irritable sharp or exasperated it's not resentful doesn't keep record of wrongs and does not rejoice in wrongdoing and love is also defined in Galatians 5 when Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And Paul makes the point to say that those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. And if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And I wanted to point this out again tonight because it's so important to remember that gifts are great and they're good for the edification the building up the the support and the the furthering of the kingdom of god but they are not evidence of spiritual growth the evidence of spiritual growth is the amount of fruit we bear if paul even said it in chapter 5 verse 25 of the book of galatians if we live in the spirit let us walk in the spirit so if we're going to be spiritual, we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the gifts are going to be there for sure. We shouldn't stop pursuing that. We should also pursue the, the gifts of the Spirit. But we have to remember that spiritual maturity is marked by the fruit, not by the gifts. So let's move on to tonight's lesson. Um we are talking about the gifts of the spirit and i wanted to establish just briefly what the gifts are not the gifts of the spirit are not the following things so i'm going to talk briefly about these these items here on your screen um, the gifts of the spirit are primarily not for establishing doctrine Mormons believe that the angel Moroni visited Joseph Smith and revealed the Book of Mormon to him. And this, you know, was a spiritual thing that happened to him. Um, you know, you might say this was, if he was chalking this up to the gifts of the Spirit, this was a word of knowledge. This was maybe word of wisdom. This was perhaps prophecy um, or uh, the working of miracles, you know, even um, what it was not was discerning of spirits. So, <laughs> uh, what what they what they claim is that this angel appears to him and gives him more books that were not yet revealed, and that he was receiving more revelation from God. Um, and it, the the facts are that if this was a real angel from God, he would have no authority to preach anything that would was already written in the scripture. That's what the Bible clearly says. If an angel from heaven preaches anything other than what's in the scripture, then he should be accursed. He should be anathema. He should be rejected, put away, put aside, resisted, because it's not an angel from God. Uh, Joseph Smith also confessed to having a vision of the father and the son revealing themselves to him. 
Well, this contradicts the scripture, uh, primarily because the Father cannot be seen. No man hath seen God at any time. Uh, the, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. That's written in the book of, first, of John chapter 1. Um, the Son is the only declaration of the Father. The Son is the only visible manifestation of the Father. You cannot see the Father. You cannot see God. No man has seen God at any time. It's not possible, and no one will ever see God. Um, Moses asked to see God's face, and the Lord told Moses, if you did, you wouldn't be able to live because no one has seen my face and lived. It's not possible, Moses. So uh, no vision, no prophecy, no tongues or an interpretation, or any other gift of the Spirit can be of God and useful for the church if it contradicts Scripture. If it violates the Word of God, it's not a gift of the Spirit. And those who are exercising the gifts of the Spirit should be sensitive and discerning. And we'll, we'll touch on that, um, that if you want to be used in the gifts, you need to be willing to be sat down. You need to be willing to be discerned against. You need to be willing to, to be scrutinized on what you're doing because it's the safety net of the gifts of the Spirit. The flesh can get in the way. Your brain can get in the way. Your brain can short-circuit what God wants to do through you, and it will help you to learn. If you'll be humble and submit to, to constructive ministry, okay, we're going we're gonna to base this on the assumption that you're all being you're all under constructive ministry okay we're not going to try to to talk about what do you do in destructive ministry because that would just that's a whole other topic but let's assume you're in a church that builds people up and doesn't tear them down if that's the case and you exercise the gifts of the spirit you should be willing humble enough sensitive enough to allow others to discern what you're saying what you're doing and see if it's of God, if it was a mistake, if it was uh, it was God, but there was a little bit of you inserted into it, you know, um, and, and, and this is going to be fun. I promise you we're going to learn some cool stuff in this lesson. So the gifts are also not to replace the leadership of the church. God will not use the gifts of the Spirit to publicly rebuke or deal with ministry leadership. Not going to happen. That's not appropriate. Um, it's not decent. It's not in order. Uh, God is not going to smite his shepherd or the leadership, the shepherds, I should say, because myself as the pastor of the church, I'm not the only shepherd in the church. There's others who have the shepherding gift. They have that shepherding ministry of pastor. Um, and so God's not going to smite the leadership of his church publicly through the gifts of the Spirit. If something does need to be handled publicly, it won't be done through the gifts of the Spirit. It'll be done um, through the, the, the careful administration of the, the leadership of the church. Uh, serious problems can be referred uh, to spiritual leaders who have authority to deal with the problem. Um, serious, serious problems with a pastor can be taken to an, another spiritual authority within the organization to deal with them in an appropriate manner. It doesn't need to be dealt with through the gifts of the Spirit or clouded with the gifts of the Spirit. You may uh, sometimes go online, and if you look at 
if you're you're on social media, there's a few um, accounts out there that deal with you know funny things that happen in the church, and some of them uh, post videos of people getting up and you know praying in tongues over the pastor and in a uh, you know taking over the service in a, a demonstrative way. That's not of God. That's not decent. That's not in order. No one's going to receive anything out of that. That's just going to create confusion. It's not love. It's not long-suffering. It's not gentle. It's not kind. So if it doesn't hit the love meter, you know, if if you're you're thinking, well, this isn't this is going to violate some ethic of love, then then it needs to be revisited. It, it needs to be dialed back um, and and dealt with in a more loving and sensitive way. The gifts of the spirit are not a, uh, not to replace the means of seeking God daily through prayer and other spiritual disciplines. The gifts of the spirit are not a mark or a shortcut for spiritual maturity. We've covered this already, but um, this does not just because you're 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 used in the gifts doesn't mean you can slack in spiritual disciplines. If anything, um, I've had people approach me, ministers approach me. Uh, where God would use me in the gifts of the Spirit in a particular setting, a service. And um, an elder minister that I, I respect very much came up to me and he, he said, uh, thank you, Brother Joel, for letting God use you today. Protect that gift. And I, I was like, whoa, that's cool. What do you mean, protect the gift? What does that mean? He says, well, just protect it. Like, don't let this gift um, be taken advantage of. Let you know, protect it with prayer and, and, and disciplines and uh, let God use that, like protect that gift. That's a, you've been given something. Don't, don't let anything spoil it. And that was very upbuilding to me because it emphasized, well, it's great that God used me today, but if I'm going to continue to be effective in God using me in the future, I've got to protect it with prayer and Bible reading and regular spiritual disciplines, because just because I was used doesn't mean I've achieved anything or I've arrived any, anywhere, but just that God has simply used me tonight. And that, that lends to the last point, that the gifts of the Spirit are not meant to glorify individuals. The gifts of the Spirit were not given to the church to make celebrities out of anybody. Someone who is used should never be identified or, or considered as in, infallible or super special. This turns him into somewhat of an idol. Um, you know, and I've, I'm guilty of this. Uh, oh, brother, so-and-so is coming, and we're definitely going to have a move of God. I've got to get to this service because I know God's going to move because brother so-and-so is going to be there. God always manifests himself when this particular preacher is preaching. Well, um, I have a couple of things about that. Number one, it could be that this, this particular individual is gifted and uh, particularly in maybe the gift of faith, which the gift of faith is a gateway gift to all the gifts. If you have faith, you can easily transition to word of prophecy you can easily transition to the gifts of healing, to um, the working of miracles. Uh, there's so many things that can transition from faith to other things. So this, this particular speaker might be gifted 
in moving in the dimension of faith, well, that that inspires everybody. And 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 typically people come to that service with expectation. In other words, they've prepared their hearts in advance without realizing it with expectation. God is going to move because this person is here. Well, the fact is God responds to all faith. So even if faith is flawed, God will respond to it out of love for those who are there. So if you come to a service with the expectation that God is going to move because so-and-so is there, God will move and God will even move for you. Um, But it has created a bit of an unhealthy dynamic for you personally, because you've elevated this person to a particular level. Should they ever fall, should they ever make a mistake, that faith can be very shaky and be very thrown off balance. And so it's better for you to come to every service saying God is going to move here because God loves us. God wants to have a move of his spirit today, not at camp meeting with brother so-and-so. And and, and it's not wrong to want to go and hear particular men of God speak, especially if you know they're gifted in particular gifts of the spirit and and it's uh, a draw. That's not wrong. That's not bad. But let us not place these individuals on pedestals let's get to the place where we are all used in the gifts and so then it's not so much about who so-and-so and and who she she is there but it's let's come together and worship god because we know that we're when we come together jesus is in our midst and something great is going to happen Um, another thing that's very important for us to remember about the gifts of the spirit is that they're always subject to control by the user. Um, You can control your gift. It's biblical. 1 Corinthians 14, 32. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. I'm just going to let you say la on that for a second while I sip my tea. (laughs) You are in control of your spirit. (laughs) Ecstatic, uncontrolled outbursts are totally within your control, 100%. God never takes over somebody to the point where they are not in control. Now, you may lose your desire to control what's happening to you. You may want to fully give yourself to the tongues you feel, the utterance you have, whatever it is. But someone who is who is mature in their faith, remember, we're always coming back to love because love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love doesn't put itself before others. So if you are being moved on by God to give a tongues in service, with the intent to interpret those tongues, then you can do it in love. How do you do that in love? You wait patiently for the right moment. And if the right moment never comes, but you were sensitive and waiting and ready and you were available, then then God will never charge you for, for not submitting. You will, you will always be operating in love and love is better than the gifts. It's better for you to operate in love 
than for you to operate out of a desire to do the gifts of the spirit. Um, because an ecstatic, uncontrolled outburst can actually cause confusion and disrupt what's placing taking place in the spirit. Now, um, tongues and interpretation, like I said, often does interrupt a service schedule, right? Working of miracles can interrupt a service schedule. It did for Peter when he was preaching in Acts 10 to Cornelius's house. The Bible makes it kind of clear that Peter was in the middle of his message and they all received the Holy Ghost. God didn't wait for Peter to give an altar call. He just filled them with the Holy Ghost. And the, the working of miracles, someone receiving the Holy Ghost, by the way, is the working of miracles, um, interrupted Peter's sermon. Well, in that case, hallelujah, throw the sermon to the floor and let's have a move of God, right? Like, I mean, if someone wants to get the Holy Ghost in the middle of my message, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to get upset with that. Praise God. That's awesome. But that being said, a tongues and interpretation is another matter. Sometimes there's a good moment to do it. Sometimes there's not. I have been in services where someone went to give a tongues and the, the person leading the services hold the gift. It's not time for that yet. And they were, they were a very sensitive individual. And there was like this shock in the room, like, whoa, he just shut down the Holy Ghost. Whoa, you could kind of feel it. He's quenching the spirit. And, and, and a few minutes later, he said, now it's time for the gifts. And it was instantaneous. The, the gifts just clicked right back in. And that person gave tongues. The interpretation went forth. And there was a sovereign move of God in that service. So that confirmed that the person who was leading the service was actually led of the spirit and the person who had given the tongues gave it prematurely. They were, they maybe didn't wait long enough or they weren't sensitive or they were sensitive. They were just following what they felt. And the person in charge of the service had the authority to say, wait, wait. Okay. Now, and it worked. It literally worked because they were working in love. They were working together. More often than not, that will not take place. More often than not, the one leading the service will, will defer to the tongues and interpretation. That happens more often than, than the instance I gave. However, there needs to be that, that. That's why we're slowing down with this thing about love, because it's so important. If you're going to be used in the gifts, you've got to be able to ebb and flow with that. And if you're out of order, don't take it personal. Just get, get in order and let God use you somewhere else. It's not a slight against you. And while it might be personally embarrassing, maybe a little bit, um, you know, just know that if you're in a church that loves you, then, then a little call to order is okay. It's not going to, it's not going to ruin you you can definitely work and, and flow with that. Um, and, and, and like Paul said, the people who prophesy or people who are used in the gifts are in control of their spirits and can take turns. Very important for us to remember. The nature of the gifts of the spirit is that, that they are supernatural, okay? The gifts of the spirit are not natural. They are they supersede, they go above the natural realm. So here is the natural realm 
of how things go. You know, it's going along in this line and, and the gifts of the spirit take it up a level and supersede what is able to happen naturally. Okay. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who works in all of us. God who works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, 6. There are those who teach that the gifts of the Spirit and miracles are not for today. Um, and so they, they, they define the word of wisdom as having good judgment and counseling ability. They might say the gifts of healing is the ability to be a good doctor or a nurse or, uh, you know, a PSW. The gift of tongues is the ability to learn foreign languages well and go overseas and be a missionary. Um, but, but according to these definitions, someone who's never felt God's presence, much less received God's spirit, could easily exercise these gifts as efficiently as believers. So what would be the point of God giving people the gift of tongues, the ability to learn languages, when there are thousands of people in the world who know multiple languages without ever, ever have even receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost? So it's a, it's a disservice to the scripture, to the word, to say that gifts of the Spirit are no longer applicable, they're no longer valid for the church today. The gifts of the Spirit are very valid today. And they're most effective when they're done decently and in order. And they, they do supersede nature. They go beyond the natural mind in the natural realm. And they, they do make uh, unbelievers or uh, people who aren't used to that very uncomfortable because they're odd and they're, they supersede nature. But if they can be done in love, then, then often people who are um, introduced to it for the first time, they can get over the shock of it because of the love that was that preceded and followed those gifts. That's why Paul said, if there's no love, then the gifts are just noise. They're clangs, they're symbols, they're, they're shattering sounds. But if there's love and kindness and gentleness and patience and long suffering mixed in with the gifts, then they, they, they actually meet their true potential and, and produce the supernatural benefits that they're meant to, to produce. The gifts of the Spirit ought to be normal and part of our daily lives. Yes, I said our daily lives. The gifts of the Spirit should be something that we regularly practice or, or seek for or pursue or are sensitive to, towards, but they're not to be a continual personal trait. For example, if God uses you in the word of wisdom, that should not be a mark on your resume of being a naturally wise person. That should not, because the gifts are normal, but not continual. The gift of healing does not make someone a faith healer. Sila. Think about that. <laughs> the gift of healing does not make somebody a faith healer. I shudder and cringe a little bit when someone advertises themselves as having a healing ministry. There's no Bible for that, for someone to have a healing ministry. God can use you in the gift of the a gift of healing and use you often in the gift of healing, simply because it's like riding a bike. Once you learn how to 
operate and function and learn how God touches you to touch others, it becomes easier for you to submit and yield to that. That doesn't make you a faith healer. That doesn't make, make you automatically have a healing ministry. It just means that God sometimes uses you or maybe often uses you in that gift. And that should not ever go to our heads as look at what we did. Look at who we are. There are natural counterparts to the gifts of the Spirit. For example, the word of wisdom, the natural counterpart to the word of wisdom is natural wisdom, you know, experience. The word of knowledge, um, the natural counterpart to that would be learned knowledge, discerning of spirits. The natural counterpart to that spiritual thing is discernment. So you can have discernment, you can be a discerning person, and be completely clueless when it comes to spiritual things. And so God comes in and gives you the discerning of spirits, a gift that only he can give, which supersedes, goes above your own ability to discern. Uh, faith, uh, the gift of faith is different than the measure of faith that is given to every believer. The gift of faith is supernatural. It goes above. It it propels you. It gets you over a hump. It's more than what you've already received. Uh, the natural counterpart to the gift of healing or the gifts of healing is medical healing. It's a natural counterpart. The, uh, the gift of working of miracles. And the natural counterpart to that is someone doing extraordinary things. That would seem almost miraculous or almost superhuman, but but they they were naturally able to discipline themselves to a level to be able to do this particular thing. That's natural, but a miracle is something that supersedes the natural. Prophecy um, is the spiritual counterpart to being able to speak under inspiration. You can speak inspired words that move people emotionally physically and 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 even in their mind they can change their mind but prophecy comes in at another level it's higher than that tongues uh the natural counterpart to tongues is speaking in other languages so all of these gifts have a natural counterpart but they are supernatural gifts is definitely what they are <laughs> And so Paul uh, urges the church to pursue love, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So let's work through these gifts one by one and talk about them and how we can uh, operate and function in them. All right, 1 Corinthians 12. Now I know I'm going back to 12, even though we're in 14. Um, but we're now dealing with the nuts and bolts of the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. And so we could break the gifts of the spirit down into three categories. 
Uh, the first category is knowledge gifts. So these are um, gifts that deal with the mind of Christ. <clears throat> and that is the word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom, again, um, I want to point out here, these are momentary gifts. These are not lifestyles. God does not endow you with wisdom. God gives you a word of wisdom. So word is an expression of intelligence. It's an expression, a, uh, a logos, a something that was in the thought or the plan of God that has been manifested to you. It's been revealed to you. It's a expression of intelligence and its application because wisdom is both knowledge and application. So word of wisdom is, is how to do something and how to do it in that particular moment. Knowledge is knowing, wisdom is doing, okay? Word of knowledge is different from the word of wisdom. Again, it's a singular word of wisdom and singular word of knowledge. You are not endowed with great knowledge. You're not endowed with great wisdom. You are given a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, um, a word of knowledge would be imparting of insight, intelligence, or comprehension. Now, I'm going to help you. We're going we're gonna to go through these three tonight specifically, and we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of each one of these three. We'll deal with the knowledge gifts tonight. But uh, again, these are momentary situations where God endows wisdom, knowledge, or discerning of spirits on a person at a particular moment for the sake of edifying, building up the church, okay? And again, these gifts do not supersede what the Bible already teaches. They don't introduce new revelation. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't reveal that the writer actually meant to say this, even though what he's written is something different. No, the written word is your anchor. If it doesn't agree with the written word, it's not of God. You've got to discern that, and you've got to have others help you discern that and, and so that you can be safe in exercising the gifts of the Spirit. The last one here in the knowledge gifts is discerning of spirits. Now, this is not the gift of discernment. There is no gift of discernment, by the way. Um, there is nothing of that nature. Um, this is a specific gift discerning of spirits. So if you want discernment, you've got to go back to the word and you got to, you got to study to show yourself approved. You've got to, you know, uh, get the counsel of more than two or three people, godly people. If you want real discernment in your life to discern whether you should go this way or that way or help you make decisions, this is not that gift. This gift will not help you make a decision about whether or not you want to move to another country or whether or not you're being called to another church or whether or not you're, you're being moved to a, a particular ministry. That is not this gift. This gift has nothing to do with you being able to discern what you need to do in a particular situation. This is a gift to help you distinguish between spirits. This is not discernment, but the discerning of spirits. Very important that we know that. I've heard whole messages 
preached on the gift of discernment. And they pull in all other all other kinds of scriptures to support the idea of God will give you discernment. And so this is the gift of discernment. And that is not what the text is saying. This is the gift of discerning of spirits. All right, we're going to quickly go through these and then we'll come back to the, the knowledge gifts. There's power gifts. Power gifts are the gift of faith. Again, this is a special gift of faith that moves mountains. It's a special gift that helps you operate in a variety of other gifts, okay? The working of miracles is the operation of powers or abilities, and it's vague because it encompasses many things. It's often associated with, with uh, exorcism. So anytime Jesus or the disciples cast a demon out of that person's life, that was considered a miracle. Why is it a miracle? Because a miracle is something that only God can do, okay? Uh, a healing, like a cancer being eradicated from somebody's body, is can be both a miracle and a healing, because someone can go into remission of cancer without a, a prayer being prayed. They can go through the treatments, spend the time in rehab and all that kind of stuff, and receive a healing. That's full-fledged, okay? So uh, the, the working of miracles is something that only God can do. It's a special miracle, a special situation that cannot be described or explained away by science or any other way. Uh, gifts of healing. Uh, this one's interesting because it's written in the plural, signifying that there may be various gifts within this particular gift. So someone might have the gift of healing cancers, the gift of healing blindness, the gift of healing uh, a deaf ear, and they might pray for someone, you know, with a deaf ear and the ear be open, but they pray for someone with blindness and the, the blindness never lifts because they have the gift of, of praying someone through who's, who's deaf to healing. That's, that's a possibility. So We'll we'll talk more about that as we get into those gifts later on. Uh, the utterance gifts. So uh, prophecy, which is both foretelling the future and forthtelling the present. Forthtelling is another way of saying revealing what is going on right now in the spiritual realm. Okay. Well, again, we'll get to these in, in detail, but I just wanted to quickly touch on all of them. Diverse kinds of tongues, which is tongues spoken different languages, uh, the Bible talks about the tongues of men and of angels. So there appears to be a natural tongue that you can speak and an angelic tongue that you can speak in. There's the interpretation of tongues. Notice this is not the translation of tongues. It's the interpretation. The word interpretation literally in the Greek means more or less. <laughs> so sometimes people give more and sometimes they give less. <laughs> but either way, it's interpretation. It's the interpretation of tongues. And again, we'll touch on that in more in detail. Um, for now, let's talk about the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. So wisdom is the ability to combine knowledge and experience together and come up with a plan of action, right? So wisdom is saying, I know that fire can burn. I've seen it consume paper, wood, and flesh. So wisdom says, don't put my hand in the fire. That's wisdom. 
Um, so there's this natural fear that comes upon us when we have wisdom. And it's the fear of, I know that running out into the street in oncoming traffic is a dangerous thing to do. Wisdom says, that's not wise. That's not smart. That's foolish to play around with your life like that. And so wisdom often has an element of fear with it, but not a uh, an unhealthy fear, but a healthy fear. Uh, Proverbs 9 to 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. Um, but this again is, this is similar to the word of wisdom, but it is not the word of wisdom. As I mentioned already, the word of wisdom is a special endowment of wisdom for a particular moment, time, and plan. In other words, uh, someone who did not have experience in a particular thing is able by the Spirit to give a one-time endowment of wisdom from God in order to get through a particular circumstance. And a good example of that is found in Acts chapter 27. Paul was on his way to Rome, and the Bible says that when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the, the fast was not now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, um, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the uh, the ladding and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So Paul did not give a word of prophecy here. Rather, he was given a word of wisdom. Paul was not a sailor. Paul was a tent maker. He was a land lover. He was not a sailor. He didn't, he didn't have expertise in sailing like those who were with him. In fact, the, the centurion deferred to the sailors and their advice over Paul's because Paul didn't have the natural wisdom to look at a situation, look at a time of year, look at a weather pattern or whatever, and say, it's a good time to sail. It's not a good time to sail. Paul was given a special gift of wisdom in this moment because wisdom is the combining of knowledge and experience. Paul had maybe a little knowledge, not likely, uh, and he definitely didn't have as much experience as these sailors. So his natural wisdom was in a way depleted from its natural ability to be able to discern, is this a good move? Is this a good time? And the Holy Ghost moved on Paul and Paul said, I perceive. I'm, I'm getting a perception here. Something is tipping my scales that we should not go and we should not do this if we do we're going to lose out in life and, and you're going to lose out in money. And this is going to be difficult. Now, later on in the voyage, when they actually ran into the storm that Paul warned them about, they were now all fearing for their life. And Paul stood before them and said, the angel of the Lord has stepped into my room and none of you are going to lose your life. That's a word of prophecy. That was a certainty. Paul didn't say, I perceive that you're all going to make it. He said, with certainty, you're all going to live. If, if you do my instructions, you're going to live. That was prophecy. This is wisdom. I perceive. Mm, you know, and it's wise to listen to, to people and to that word of wisdom. If someone is used in the gift of the word of wisdom and they give you a perception, 
then it's wise to take that under advisement and really listen. Sometimes your pastor, your spiritual leaders, those who are charged over your life will, will, will not tell you emphatically, do it this way or do it that way. But they might say, I feel like what you're about to do is, I perceive this, this may not be a good move for you. Uh, God may not be giving him a word of prophecy or her a word of prophecy for your life, but they may be, God may be using them in the gift of the word of wisdom that if you'll heed it, you'll have wisdom and you'll be better off for it. The word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is similar to the word of wisdom, but it's given to someone to know something about a specific situation, to know or to have uh, awareness or understanding about that situation. So God is all knowing. So God knows everything, everything that's going on, and he can speak into your life and give you a word of knowledge for somebody. And so Acts chapter 5, verse 1 is a great example of the word of knowledge at work. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and, uh, oh, sorry, uh, and bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part for yourself and part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own after it was sold? Was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. So what's going on here? Peter could not have possibly known that Ananias lied. But God gave Peter a word of knowledge to give him the knowledge at that particular moment that Ananias was lying. And as a result, Ananias died. Not because Peter had the word of knowledge, but because Ananias had lied to the Holy Ghost and God wasn't going to have it. So um, this is a word of knowledge. It's knowing something about somebody that you possibly could not know otherwise. Now, knowledge doesn't always mean you have the right to say anything. If you are prone to gossip, most likely God will not trust you with the gift of the word of knowledge, because it would be dangerous to give you that kind of ability to know something because, well, uh, just because you know, I've heard people who are used in the gift of knowledge talk about it this way, just because God tells you something doesn't mean you have to do anything with it. Sometimes it's just knowledge. It's just to help you navigate. It's just to help you know something's off here. Uh, may, you might not know exactly what, but you know something's not right. I've had that happen to me, uh, and, and it's helped uh, where I was, you know, talking to someone, and there wasn't any real need to get involved in a business proposition, but they, they brought something up that might be, you know, like a partnership type thing. And there was just this, this real, uh, like a, a blanket that kind of slipped over my shoulders, and it was like the Lord just said, nope, nope, just no. It's, it's a no. And that was knowledge. It was enough knowledge 
for me to know this sounds good on the forefront, but there is a definite, there is a definite move of God's spirit that's saying, no, no, this is a no. And so we need to be sensitive to that. And it's also important for you to bounce these experiences off of other spiritual people who can either confirm or help you discern, was that God? Was that me? What was that? And help you learn how God speaks to you in those ways. Okay, let's move on to the discerning of spirits and talk about that a little bit more. As I said before, this is not the gift of discernment, but the discerning of spirits. Uh, like the other gifts, it's not a perpetual discernment. It's not good judgment. It's not the ability to work in the area of discernment when God needs to show you something. This is the ability to discern four different kinds of spirits. God, angels, Satan and his demons, and human spirits. All four are have their own spirit. And God wants to gift his church with the ability to discern between spirits. Is this the spirit of God speaking? Is this the spirit of an angel speaking on behalf of God? Is this the spirit of Satan speaking as an angel of light? Is this the spirit of a human speaking? All of them can be hard to distinguish between. All of them can sound sort of like one another if we're not careful. So God gives us the spiritual ability to, to be able to distinguish between which spirit is of him and which spirit is not. This is clearly seen in the book of Acts chapter 16. And Paul is going in Philippi. And as he says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, when you, when you peel back some of the words here, uh, let's peel back the word divination. What does the word divination mean? In Greek, the word div divination is actually where we get our word python from, the same snake, the, the constricting snake. Um, and it's so weird. You know, I, I don't think uh, demons have animal form per se, but there are connections between the animal world and uh, the spirit world in some ways. I mean, you know, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan around walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So sometimes there's there's a, uh, pers a personification, if you will, to help us see in the spirit what is there. Um, and so in this case, uh, the Bible literally says this girl had the spirit of Python. She had the spirit of divination. Now, uh, according to Greek mythology, Python was a serpent that guarded a particular area of Greece, and uh, Apollo comes down and kills the serpent, and then makes the serpent somewhat of his slave, and the serpent's name was Python, and so uh, now Apollo and the serpent kind of work together a little bit, even though Apollo killed the serpent, somehow he's still alive, and whatever, it's convoluted and twisted and doesn't have a lot of carryover to us here today, but but suffice to say that there was a a not just a spirit of divination, but this was a principality, if you will, of the area. 
this girl was manifesting the leading spirits of her area. And she was using it in a prophetic way. It was a prophetic demon who was able to somewhat foretell the future of those that they were working with. And um, this can diverse into a total off topic of can the devil give actual words of prophecy? Well, I don't think so. But I think if the devil was working together with other devils, this particular python spirit could say, oh, I see a great accident coming into your life in three days. And other spirits working together with their own lackeys, you know, if you will, to create an accident to fulfill the prophecy and then bring credence to this, this girl and her, her masters to then enslave the nation further in their worship of pagan gods, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I could see how that would work. But whatever the case was, this spirit was following Paul around. And listen to what the spirit was saying. She followed Paul. The spirit of Python was following Paul around and crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Interesting. So the snake was telling other people to listen to Paul and Silas because they were going to tell them how to be saved. Isn't that counterintuitive? Why would the devil be promoting the kingdom of God and salvation? Well, in order to gain some popularity, you know, it's the old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. So obviously the devil wasn't really joining in, but he would have maintained some of his authority and power by you know, acknowledging Paul and Silas are here and they're going to preach to you about salvation. Listen to them. Because when Paul and Silas left, the spirit could then take over, infiltrate, and, and, and take over the gains that Paul and Silas had won for the church and the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that she kept doing this for many days. So Paul evidently heard this. Something in his spirit didn't sit right, but what she said was true and not a lie. So Paul couldn't just come right out and be like, hey, you're of the devil. <laughs> he, let, he let it go on for a few days. But the Bible says he became greatly annoyed. Now listen, this is another word. We're going to peel back this. What does the word greatly annoyed mean? It means to be grieved or the literal translation is constricted. Interesting. This woman has the spirit of Python. And Paul's signal that this was not the Spirit of God was that Paul was feeling constricted in his spirit. Something inside of him felt tight. He was feeling constricted. And that's exactly what a python does in real life. It constricts. That's how it kills. So Paul was literally feeling the constriction of the Spirit. Something was holding back what he wanted to do. And he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So this was the gift of discerning of spirits. Note, Paul felt this, but it took a few days for it to really come to clarity what he was dealing with. Likely, Paul had conversed with Silas and maybe some of the other disciples with him about this, this girl who kept coming in. and you know, it took them a few days to figure out who she was and what she was really up to. 
And then when Paul worked through it, the discerning of spirits came very clearly to him. This is a demon. Even though she was speaking truth, it was not for good. It was for evil. All right. So this, this is the conclusion of our, our lesson tonight. Hopefully, if you have any questions, please feel free to submit them to that, that uh, uh, form that I, I gave you in the, uh, the notes there at the bottom of uh, your, your chat boxes and uh, submit any questions you may have about this lesson here tonight. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you all on Sunday. Have a great night. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye, everyone.